At this time, I'd like to invite the teens up. They're going to give us an overview of their camp experience in California. Hi, my name is Lisa. So as some of you may know, our teens at summer camp had our first road trip. On Sunday, a fire had started on the other mountain, but posed no danger to us. But by Wednesday, there was a lot of smoke. So for our safety and our numbers, we were evacuated from camp. We spent the night at a Red Cross evacuation center held at a school. Thursday, all of us were bused to the Palm Desert Center for Spiritual Living. What I found ironic about the entire adventure was that our last workshop was about releasing our emotional baggage. Then right after, we had to release our physical baggage. For some of us, releasing our baggage was the hardest part about the entire process. Throughout this entire thing, I kept thinking that if I had to be evacuated with anyone, I'd want it to be with the CSL teens. Everyone was calm and supportive throughout the entire process. We had a lot of support from the CSL organization. Hi, I'm David. I'm one of the advisors who took the teens to camp. And the camps uh, was called There Is No Place Like Ohm. How appropriate. I want to let you know that treatment works. And before leaving, I treated for the group's safety, and all would go well, and all would go with grace and ease. And so it was. Right down to the flight down, the cabin mates I had, who supplied us with endless amounts of chocolate for Monday right up till Tuesday. We didn't have to evacuate any of that. Food at the camp was excellent. Coffee was available for advisors 24 hours a day. Temp idea. The teen family workshops, where we all learned a lot. And then the evacuation down to Hemet, looked after by the Red Cross, then moved on down to Palm Desert Center, and then the back up to Ontario for the hotel, and the flight home. All went with grace and ease. So yes, plans change, but we are always safe, and we treat for what we you need, and things will go with just the way it is. And I want to thank thank you to everyone who was involved, and to all of you, and let you know that there is no place like home. I'm Sarah, and. Uh... I know camp was definitely an amazing experience for all of us, and we all grew so much. But one of the things that really struck me was just the kindness and caring of all the people that were around us. Even on the day of the evacuation, the camp insisted that we have a turkey dinner before we leave. Every step of the way, we were provided for, and there was just such abundance, and I'm so grateful. In Palm Desert, the CSL community offered up their church and even their homes for us to stay in. And I think that's just amazing. Uh, Red Cross provided us with pizza and with blankets, and there was never any feeling of disconnection or being unsupported in that whole experience. My name is Randy, and I am an advisor. And I um, was also on the 
international teen leadership team who planned the camps. And this whole year we've been saying, we want to create something that's never happened before. <laughs> well, we did that. <laughs> but it was a fantastic experience. Um, absolutely everyone was more than cooperative. Everyone learned something new. Everyone got something, what, exactly what they needed out of the shortened version of camp. And it turned out exactly how it needed to be. And uh, just very grateful that we had a most fantastic Edmonton group. Um, everyone was in high spirits, even though with the lack of sleep and uh, lack of variety for food. <laughs> I don't think I can eat pizza again for a while. But it was a very, um, a very great learning experience, and I'm so grateful. So thank you. Hi, my name's Emma, and um, one of the great things that you get to experience at camp is those aha moments. So one big one that I had actually happened because of the evacuation. I learned and I realized that no matter how well you plan something out, the universe will throw it away in a second if that's what's meant to happen. Earlier in the camp, we had a discussion in my teen group family about how you should always expect the unexpected. For someone who's a little bit of a control freak like me, it was kind of hard to take on a bit, but it was really emphasized for me in this camp. Even though things did not go exactly according to our itinerary, it opened up many, many possibilities that none of us had even thought of. And um, it still met all of the intentions and goals that I had set for camp, and I'm sure everybody else's intentions as well. So to wrap up, I just want to say thank you to all of you guys who made this possible, whether that looks like purchasing raffle tickets or having wonderful affirmations for us. Thank you so much. Namaste. <laughs> Thank you. So at this time, it is a very special honor for me to introduce our speaker today. This is a woman who I consider a very great friend. She is an inspiration to many, and she always delivers a very powerful message. And you are in for a treat. Please join me in welcoming my friend, Reverend Catherine McLeod. Thank you, Barb. Well done. Sometimes all we need is a little wind beneath our wings before we realize that really we can fly on our own. Will you join me in our opening prayer as we remember the truth that we are always supported, that there is a power for good and it's everywhere. It's within us. It's in every little cell and particle, in every wave. It's the intelligence in the space that seems to be filled with nothing. It too is spirit. I know that my life is inspired by that bigger idea within me that there is one life and it's God's life. And that truly is my life. And so God, by whatever name you call it, with whatever form you give it. It is the all of life. It is the eternal now. It is intelligence, the ground of being, the formless and the form. It is all that I am. 
all that we are, all that life is. And so we are in the journey of life learning, learning to embrace it all, to trust, to fly, and to be the light. With deep gratitude for this wonderful team of ministers, practitioners, people who bring their gifts of sound and music and organization, all of those lights that help this center to thrive and to be a force for good in the world, I say thank you. Claim that with me as together we say, and so it is. Well, Reverend Patrick gave me the phone call a few weeks ago saying that he was going to be away at Asilomar. It's our annual conference in California, right on the ocean. He's part of the leadership team, and so he's got a role as far as the organization of it all, and he's the keynote speaker in the evening on Tuesday night, and that's quite a, an esteemed spot. It is, yes. And so we bless him this morning and the work that he's doing, not just in this center, but the work that he's doing in the international field as well, bringing this teaching to the world. So in our conversation on the phone, it was just sort of after I had decided to postpone my ordination because my mother was in the process of dying and the family had been called together and I really wanted to be present there with my family, with my sons, with my grandchildren and certainly with my mother. And so by about Wednesday before the ordination date, I called Sue Edwards, bless her heart, and said, could you just let everybody know that this is what's going on in my life? And of course, Sue, being the masterful practitioner she is, she uh, just took that with such lightness and such grace and such love and support for me. And I have just received wonderful support from so many of you with lovely messages and just brief little stories about the importance of actually being there for a parent who's in this process. And I have taken that seriously. And I'm with my mother probably two or three times a week. And uh, she is now in palliative care at home. And we are in the process of supporting her as she dies at home and with the love of all of us around her. It's been a real gift to actually have the time to walk this journey with her. And even though there are times when a part of me would like to kind of shrivel up and stand back and uh, maybe withdraw from some of the intimacy of some of the moments where great love is expressed to such a degree that it's hard for my heart to open enough to take it in. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where it's just so intimate and so loving that I realize that I've, I've got a little barrier there that I actually have to make myself open up to the preciousness of the moment. So having said a lot of this to Reverend Patrick, we talked about what he's been talking about all week, and he's been, or all month, and he's been talking about spiritual practice. Last week it was on the spiritual practice of work, work as our spiritual practice. And he gave me some choices of what could be some of the bhaktis of the yoga for spiritual practice. And so what really seemed appropriate to me was surrender as a spiritual practice. Because someone on the stage here in this wonderful presentation said, I have a few issues with control, she said. Well, I have a few issues with control too. I really like to control the things that are mine to control and sometimes I like to control 
unconsciously the things that are really not mine to control at all because I really like to set myself up for success. Do you have any of that in you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know some of you, so I know you do. The dictionary says that surrender is to relinquish possession or control of because of a demand or compulsion. Compulsion. Give up in favor of another, to give something back, to give over or resign oneself to something. Now, you might think I'm here to talk about this definition of surrender, this one. But I'm not here to talk about that version of surrender. I'm really here to talk about this version of surrender. That version of surrender that says there is the fire and there is love on the other side and I'm, I'm walking through and I don't know how I'm going to not burn my feet on the coals or burn my skirt on the flames, but I know that I'm going there. And this center is filled with that energy. Those people on the banners are those people who actually had to walk, chose to, surrendered to, opened themselves to that great courage mixed with fear for sure and walked and created and gave their life's energy, their love's energy to creating a world that works for everyone. So I think nothing's better than a nice story to give you a sense of what I'm talking about. And so the story that came to mind is Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. Isn't that the perfect story? Do you know that one? Indiana Jones, the great adventurer, gorgeous man, he's, a, he's afraid, he always, you always know he's afraid because you sort of love him because he's so afraid, but he leaps before he thinks half the time. In this story, Indiana Jones meets his dad. His dad and him are estranged from each other. His father is an adventurer like Indiana Jones, and he's been an adventurer to find the Holy Grail. It's been his whole life's work, and they meet in a bar, and they meet in some exotic little country somewhere, and they kind of have it out. But in the end, Indiana Jones goes with his father in search of the Holy Grail, and they find it. They're on the precipice. Indiana Jones has his hand on the Grail. There's a deep chasm there. The father is here. He's about to get it, and his father realizes that should he actually pick that Grail up, he is going to lose his balance and fall into the abyss. And so his father whispers, let it go. You can see the anguish on Indiana Jones' face. It is not like Indiana to let anything go. He has been walking through fire. He's faced death, snakes, darkness, all his fears to get to this point. And he has no desire to not make his father proud of him. He's done all this to show his dad that he is his equal. His father reaches over and grabs his arm and says firmly, Indiana, let it go. Indiana removes his hand from the grail and the two men walk back to safety. And the audience gasps because this is so un-Indiana, isn't it? He never surrenders. But we realize in a flash that this whole story was not about the Holy Grail. This whole story was about the journey of a father and his son. This whole story was really about the wounded child the abandoning father, the lack of relationship, and the heart's call to become connected.
And what, the way these two men connected, and they deeply connected, was taking this journey of being tied up together, facing death together, finding the gift together, and then having the Father's love reach out and say, everything I've done my whole life has been to find this grail, and honey, you're worth more than it. Take your hand off and come on. They, they took the journey of the heart. They surrendered that outer physical goal for something that's invisible, love, the journey of the heart, the journey of our lives. The universe whispers to us sometimes when we are on a mission, when we want something so badly that our life is getting out of whack, out of balance, and maybe it's time to take our hand off or rejig our life or rethink our priorities. And that force for good in the world that's within us whispers first, let it go. If you're like me, and you're probably not, but I'm a bit of a control person, I am sure I can do it. I can do that and keep my balance, and I won't fall into the abyss, and so I do try. Then the universe, that thing itself, the creator of all life, the master of the universe itself, maybe the mistress of the universe too, actually puts it in my body, sometimes right here in my diaphragm, and I get an embodied feeling of don't do it, let it go. Sometimes I get it right in my heart, where it's kind of an ache in my heart. I sometimes ignore that too. And if I ignore that, the next step is often the abyss. I picked that thing up and I fell down, or I hit that brick wall, or that whole project has fallen apart now because I did not surrender, because I was compelled. Surrender as a spiritual practice is that we sit silently and we honor the great intelligence that is within us, that is guiding us, that is present to us, that actually speaks, communicates when we are completely silent. Stop that monkey mind, that, that thinking, and wait and listen. And when we actually trust our body, our body's wisdom, and when we trust that there is a power for good and that we are always safe and that it will guide us, energize us, and provide sometimes a completely different life's path than we ever intellectually would have figured out for ourselves. Joseph Campbell said, we must be willing to give up the life we've planned to have the life that's waiting for us. Indiana Jones and his dad did not plan that, not consciously, but that's exactly the gift that they actually needed. That's the journey they really both needed to be on. They are great heroes in the physical world, but they're kind of undeveloped, one could say, in the emotional and feeling world. And that's the piece that they brought through their physical world. They created that opportunity to mend that relationship. So it's interesting, this whole idea of loving enough to let go of something that we yearn for, to seeing a bigger picture sometimes. And all of the spiritual practice tells us that the greatest power in the universe is love, and that it has to be brought to earth by us, and it's brought through us as loving compassion. The World Health Organization of the United Nations has done a lot of research on this subject. It's an interesting subject because they're all about creating a healthier world. They're all about 
figuring out what it actually would take for us to care about each other and to help each other and to create a world that actually works for everyone. So they, their first research was on heroic altru altruism. It's doing something without forethought. It's thinking about the consequence to the other person and to themselves, but there's no anticipation for reward or recognition. So here's the example of the story of that. They found a fellow who was in a subway station with other people, and someone inadvertently fell onto the tracks. And this one person leapt onto the tracks. The train was right there. They leapt onto the tracks, threw the person off, and they both were fine. There's lots of examples in this world of that, this. No expectation of recognition. No forethought an immediate reaction. There was lots of other people in the subway. Nobody else jumped, but this person jumped. There's lots of examples of that. Jumping in front of a subway train to save another. And so they said, what's the common component of this altruistic compassion? And so what the research have found is that the person has a world view of you are me. Their worldview is, you are me. And so they save themselves. Not really consciously, perhaps, but that is their worldview, apparently. But you know, there's lots of people who do wonderful acts of loving compassion that are altruistic, and they do it with forethought and a plan, and they do it for years and years and years and years and years, where they give from that place within them that says, Everything is me. Life is me. This whole country is me. Everyone's health is me. You are me is a force for good in the universe, and it's our teaching. It's that it's o there's only one here, that we're all one. We're all one physically, in form even. When you, know, when you, when you magnify our cells to the ultimate, it shows that every living thing is really composed of 99.99 of this very same thing. And just that little tiny extra bit what makes us individuals and makes us different than the animals. And that we're, all of life is really made of those little waves and particles and the space between them in various form. And it's a mystery. And perhaps science will eventually figure out how the mystery really works. But I think altruistic compassion it's a mystery how that actually works. How is it that implanted in us is this worldview of you are me? So they wonder, can they actually cultivate this? Can they teach this? Can we teach this to our children? Can we teach it around the world? A team of people from all kinds of different religions, people from different professions, people from different backgrounds in different countries, sit together as the advisory to the World Health Organization. And here's some things that they've come up with. They have discovered through research that if you're in a group of people and someone is tapping their foot or their finger, and you start to tap your foot or finger in exactly the same rhythm, that your heart synchronizes with theirs, and that you become more compassionate. They found that if we dance together, our hearts synchronize. If we sing together, our hearts synchronize. If we sing spiritual music, we synchronize even tighter than if we just sing, you know, ballads. 
that if a mother and a baby look at each other for three seconds, their hearts synchronize. Now that doesn't mean the baby's heart slows down or the mother speeds up. It just means that on the beat of the slower heart, the mother's, the baby's heart meets that beat. It might beat between, but it meets the baby's heartbeat. This is part of our creation. We are created for our hearts to synchronize. You are me. You are me in the biggest physical and invisible as well, and even in our heartbeats. You are me. And so if you're on the tracks of life, and I'm awake, I'm interested. If I'm on the tracks of life, and you're awake, you're going to come and get me. We live in a universe that responds to us. It's like the heartbeat of the universe is unified when we're in our compassionate place, when our hearts are open, and when we're awake and aware, when we're dancing, when we're singing, when we're breathing, when we're tapping. You are me. Lao Tzu, 2,500 years ago, wrote this. You need four virtues to be one with the universe. And if you live these four virtues, the intelligence of the universe is you and becomes you and is unified with you. And here's the four. Reverence for all of life, do no harm. Think no harm, kill no one. The second is natural sincerity. Truth, authentic, honest. That's natural sincerity. The third is gentleness. So that's loving compassion, kindness towards others. And the fourth and final virtue is supportiveness that says, how may I serve you? Not how may I only serve you, but how may I serve you, life? How may I serve you, life? There are people who have lived their life this way, and they're on our walls. Gandhi, who at 13 was promised in marriage and married, at 19 had a child and his father died and he was sent to Britain for an education, he became a lawyer. He came home with his law degree thinking he would make a difference and couldn't find meaningful work. And so he went to South Africa where there he had real life sensitivity training in racism lack of democracy, lack of honesty, lack of truth. And so he used all of those lessons in life to transform his heart and his life. He was born into the really upper caste with very, very privileged family. But he traveled in South Africa and he identified then with the outcasts in his own caste system of India. And so his life's mission was about saying that you are me, even to the lower caste. You are me to his fellow Hindus. You are me to the Muslims. You are me to his country. And that he followed the virtues of Lao Tzu, which says, kill no one. So he did it with truth, and he did it with nonviolence. And he did it with surrendering to a power and an intelligence greater than he was. 
he gave away everything he had, including his money, and he made his own clothing. And he walked with his people, and he said that his power came from meditation and prayer. That he purified his life through meditation and prayer. He surrendered to a power that said, love conquers all things, you are me. Nelson Mandela is 95, he's having his birthday, or he had his birthday and he's in the process of dying and his family and his friends and all of those people in his community are sitting outside his hospital singing and praying and I know it's a bit of a media gong show as well, but when you look at his life and what he accomplished, living in prison for 27 years where he said he learned to master his anger, he read all of the spiritual texts, he studied and he taught and he thought and he came to a purified place where he loved his jailer and he was so committed to nonviolence that he was constantly a mentor to those on, in the outer world that were actually facing the fire of his country. And is it really possible? I mean, if you were a betting person, if you were a logical thinking person, would you ever guess that this guy in that time could emerge from that situation and be the first democratically elected president and be black. You'd never, you'd never go for that. I would have never believed in my life that, that Obama would be the president of the United States. I wouldn't have even believed that a woman would be elected to any high office or have any really high prestigious job. I was at a celebration of life yesterday in Red Deer for my um, nursing, um, she was the director of nursing, her name was Marguerite Schumacher, and she started the two-year college nursing program in Red Deer that I went to. And she was the first woman I ever met that I knew had a burning passion and a vision for our community and our world. She changed the face of health in Alberta, for sure. She went on to get numerous degrees, she set up a hospice at the end of her uh, career, actually almost as a volunteer, she developed hospitals, she developed ways of us ser serving patients. She was very much into interpersonal communication. We meditated in our nursing class. <laughs> we took college courses half the time and we took nursing courses the other half. And she, you know that one where you eat the orange and you taste every little bit of it and you're so in touch with it? She had us read books like Black Like Me, she had us read Vic Victor Frankl, and she sat with us and talked to us about equity being different than equality and human rights and personal empowerment and the role of women and what women's role and responsibility is in the emerging world. And she learned to play the cello when she was in her last couple of years of life. She died at 93 a few months ago and she climbed Sulphur Mountain when she was 80 with two canes and all her friends pushing her up. It's not an easy task. She was a lifelong learner and she said, you can really become anything you choose if you're willing to do the work and if you feel the call from within you and that if it's centered in love. Marguerite Schumacher was a woman that was a wise woman, a good woman, and when people were there celebrating her life, we all, all had that same wonderful positive energy about the difference that one simple person can really make in the lives of thousands of people. You know the serenity prayer that says, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Some of these people actually, I don't think, knew the difference, and so it never stopped them. <laughs> 
The things that they did are, and are continuing to doing in our world are truly amazing. Marianne Williamson said, it's not our darkness that frightens us, it's our light. Don't you think that's a little bit true? Like, when you think about the bar being that high, of being Indiana Jones on the precipice and uh, even getting there, when you think about Gandhi and the, the, the walk through fire that his life really was and the great power for good he was, when you think about Nelson Mandela and the force for love that he has been in this world, they loved us into change. They loved the world into change. You are me is a powerful force for good in the world. I know that sometimes we've got just little things that we need to surrender. We're not always going to be you know, dynamic leaders like the people I'm talking about. And I know that this time of year, there's lots of people applying to university and colleges and really wanting to get in, yearning to get into a certain faculty or a certain place. And one young woman filled out an application. And you know, nowadays they're always asking you to write your story about why you're choosing your field. And one of the questions was, are you a leader? And she thought, I'm going to be just brutally honest. No, I'm not a, I'm not a leader. She just put no. So she didn't really expect to get chosen. But she got a letter, and here's what it says. We have reviewed numerous applications to date. There's 1,450 new leaders coming to our college next year, and we have decided to accept your application because we felt it was imperative that they have at least one follower. Life's got a sense of humor too, doesn't it? Eckhart Tolle in The Power of Now tells us to surrender to what's ever going on in our life right now and to, be, and to be brutally honest about it, not to dress it up. If we're feeling fear, to actually feel fear. Not tell ourselves a big story about it, no, but actually find it in our body and feel it. Breathe into it and allow it to be. And it will leave. Face it. Feel it, but don't talk about it. Just be aware of it. Byron Katie says, love what is. Face up to it. Love what is. It is. And so we might as well figure out a different way of thinking about it and living with it. Marianne Williamson says, it's all about love and returning to our heart. Make a practice of accepting and surrendering the small irritations in life. Spiritual practice is revolutionary. It lets us step out of our personal identity, our culture, our beliefs, our religion, and our past experience to directly experience the mystery of life. The seeds of wisdom, peace, power, and loving compassion are already in us, waiting to be watered, waiting to be nurtured, waiting for us to remember that you are me and that I am you. So I would like to end with this, and it's an ancient 2,500-year-old meditation practice of loving compassion. And I'd like to invite you just to sit in your chair and receive it, to open your heart, to take a few deep breaths, to quiet your mind. As I read this to you in the first person, take it as your own. I'll read it a few times. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. Take a breath. 
May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. And so it is.